From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 840, Getting Hybrid Certified with guest Oren Thomas. Recorded Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Hi, this is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. Bringing back a past guest, but from way too long ago, uh, Oren Thomas is a principal cloud operations advocate at Microsoft and has written more than three dozen books on from Microsoft Press on topics including Windows Server, Windows Client, Azure, M365, Office 365, System Center, Exchange Server, Security, and SQL Server. And he's a cloud advocate with an IT operations focus, and he advocates to and on behalf of the Microsoft ecosystem and IT professional community. Uh, last on in 2016, before you joined Microsoft. So welcome back, friend. G'day, Richard. Great to see you. Uh, we actually saw each other in person. I got down to Melbourne, and that was uh, that was a good day. Uh, good fun to be to be actually face to face with folks again. No, it was. Look, that was the first time I'd actually been in sort of a conference group or a conference dinner for a long time, and it was just, it was like having a flashback to several yeah. years ago. It was like we used to do this all the time, and then suddenly we stopped, and then it, it sort of felt like, oh my gosh, this is what life was like. Yeah, there was a lot of folks there. Said it was like the first gathering. Because Melbourne locked down pretty hard through the pandemic. You guys took it real serious. Yeah, look, that was a, a, a set of choices made by the government. And it was at one stage that we had a curfew where we couldn't leave the house after 8 p.m. at night. And even during the day, we couldn't go more than five kilometres from home unless wow. we had a particular particular authorised reason. And it's sort of interesting to look at where we're at now where, you know, we've got very, very high vaccination rates. Yeah. But the, the, the numbers of in the cases, it's just like, well, for the most part, the health system seems to be coping with it. Yeah. Every so often we have to get reminded that public health is not about you not getting the illness. It's about you not needing to go to the hospital. <laughs> yes, and just making sure that there's enough hospital beds there. Yeah. So from that perspective, it, they seem to have been mostly successful. But my son went through his final year of high school under lockdown, and yeah. I think that there's going to be a lot of um, interesting uh, long-term effects of, you know, just a whole generation of teenagers and people going into university who have missed out on that sort of social interaction that element of school, yeah. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, and it's just interesting to see them trying to integrate into, you know, dis- determine what an adult's life is mm-hmm. when they've essentially missed a very important transitional moment in their life. Yeah, quite possibly. I I got, after the show, went to New Zealand to visit my uh, new cousin, who's a pandemic baby, born in, in uh, fall of 2020 or November of 2020. Fall and spring are tricky when you're dealing with hemispheres. Uh, and so, yeah, a little 18 month old now. And he, he clearly, his reaction to me was, where the heck have you been? And just babbled at me nonstop. It's like, apparently we're going to catch up the whole 18 months in a sitting. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to, 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 uh, the tribe is expanding, but, uh, yeah, it was a great experience being down there. It's also good to be back home. 
I talk to cloud developer advocates on the .NET Rocks side fairly routinely. Just, you know, we're talking about the development in the cloud. But the advocacy side for more IT operations, who are you interacting with? Like, who do you get to spend time with and sort of bring that back to Microsoft? So, and this goes back to my own history as an MVP and an RD and even as a professional. If you think about certainly the 1990s where Microsoft really moved headlong against Novell into when organizations were really starting that level of digital transformation and building out their own server rooms and building out their own data centers. The way that Microsoft sort of won that battle against Novell was it trained or allowed the training of millions of MCSEs. Sure. Sort of, if you remember, you go back to the 1990s, you had MCSE commercials on the radio where you could go and get your NT4 MCSE and to an extent with Windows 2000. So what we've got there, and it's very interesting to look at developers versus IT pros. IT pros tend to stay in the career their entire life. And Mm -hmm. there's a whole cohort that in their 20s got into the practice of being a systems administrator or an IT operations person in the Microsoft ecosystem. And most of those people now are somewhere in their mid to late 40s. Right. And they're still engaged. So in terms of where I say my community is, it's really that cohort that when I walk into a conference room and I say, who here has been on this train since the 1990s? And you'll get 80% of the hands go up. And there's this massive cohort that's been having this journey along with Microsoft for now several decades. Mm -hmm. And that, that is sort of essentially a community to which Microsoft obviously needs to keep in contact with because they're a very big audience because they're the ones that are sort of the Microsoft ecosystem and where it really expanded out was when all of those data centers, when they were first being built and all those server rooms when they were first being built, were running NT Server or Windows 2000 Server. Active Directory was put in. Microsoft desktops were put in. And the way or one of the ways that Microsoft won that battle was that there was a recognition back then that the most expensive element in any IT deployment was the personnel. Right. And by going so hard at the time on training all of these desktop administrators and server administrators, Microsoft made it very simple for organisations that wanted to get their own server room manage their desktops in a coherent way right. to get qualified personnel. And I remember I started off as a Linux administrator in the early 90s. And to become a competent Linux administrator was almost an apprenticeship to one person where that person would teach you all of the the arcana of doing Linux administration. And that meant that your price as a Linux administrator would be th- twice or three times what you could ask what compared to what an MCSE would ask for simply because there was a lot more around. But it's also hard to measure the competence of a Linux administrator when it is taught in that sort of apprentice model. Like, who did you learn from? Do I know that master, essentially, as opposed to some sense of certification and and 
playing field. Yeah, a, a level of base baseline competence because right. there was certainly a um, a reluctance, and there always has been a reluctance in that open source community about having sort of external benchmarks of competence. And it's you know the, the jokes are what the jokes are mm-hmm. about. There were certainly minimally competent uh, Microsoft administrators who cheated their way through and got the certification. But if you're looking now at someone who started off then, if they're still in the role now after 25, 30 years... They must know something. They must know something. (laughs) Yeah, and and it's always a challenge when you're hiring. Like, certifications are one thing, but you still want to sort of exercise them, get a sense of the work that they know how to do. You know, how, how much of us studying certifications was studying for the certification as opposed to doing the work. Yes. So there is a, a degree of, and one of the, the very interesting things about certification, and we are talking about the hybrid admin associate certification, is that when a, a certification essentially defines a scope of skills that are expected to be known by mm-hmm. a particular candidate. But in doing that, you almost generate an ecosystem of learning around that set of skills. And one of the things I was very interested in in thinking about when I interviewed at Microsoft, the question I was asked is, how do we bring that cohort of people that you were a part of and that you've advocated for as a regional director, as an MVP, how do we bring them to where Microsoft is? And it's not just a matter of lifting and shifting. How do we talk to them? And I was like, well... We develop their hybrid skills, Mm -hmm. but the way that we actually list what those important skills are and a great way of defining it, it's not just going and putting it on a web page. If you introduce it as a certification, suddenly you spin up a whole lot of ancillary processes that exist out there in the third party world where by defining a certification, people are suddenly starting to write books they're suddenly starting to do plural site courses mm-hmm. or LinkedIn learning courses. People are writing practice exams. And there's this entire learning ecosystem that exists beyond Microsoft that spins into existence once Microsoft or another vendor goes and defines a certification. So certifications are, again, very interesting. And it was one, again, looking back at that sort of open source community aspect of it, in that because there was... There was a couple of, and there's been different attempts, like Red Hat's done something, Suze's done something. Mm-hmm. But when you get one of the uh, a central body saying, these are the important set of skills that we believe you should have, all of these books and all of these things get written by other people right. that will teach your audience what they need to know or what you want them to know about your thing. Now, you, I mean, you poked specifically at hybrid. Uh, the question is, is how, well, how do you position hybrid making sense? Like if we're, if we're doing digital transformation and we're moving workloads to the cloud, why do I stop at hybrid? Why not just go all the way to cloud? Ultimately, it's about meeting people where they are. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that most organizations already have a set of solutions wherever those solutions are that already do primarily what they need them to do. Mm -hmm. So when you're positioning cloud, you can go, well, for some of you, you want to pick it all up and just throw it in the cloud and not worry about it. Right. But for a lot of you, the proposition of cloud is a lot more nebulous. Mm -hmm. I mean, nebula, cloud. Uh, But um, if you position cloud as this is what can make your existing stuff better, 
that is a lot more attractive to people than you just need to replace your existing. You need to start over. Because because you're going from an all or nothing approach yeah. to cloud to something that's far more incremental. And most organizations are much more comfortable with incremental projects. Sure. So it might be that they're, they're doing something that they've got their existing infrastructure and that works, but they come up with a new project. So then they're making the decision, do we do the new project on-prem or do we do it in the cloud? Yeah. But if you offer them a hybrid solution where they can have a bit of this and a bit of that, they're a lot happier and they're a lot more comfortable because you're not pushing them as far out of their comfort zone. When I think about pre-pandemic cloud workloads, it was I got a set of hardware that's coming up against warranty expiry or I have a backup data center contract that's coming up for renewal. And the CFO is looking at a CapEx expenditure and saying, hey, you know, how could the cloud reduce this? Like to me, the, the first stories I saw that really latched on were the VM backup story. We're still running the workload uh, on premises, but we've been syncing to this other data center that costs us X many dollars a month. Could we be doing that against Azure instead and reduce that cost? And those ones seem pretty easy. And you didn't deal with data sovereignty and any of those other issues. Like they, that to me seemed like the gateway drug and it did get you into AAD and a couple of other things. And then you started learning how to, restore those workloads in Azure and run them from there. We started to learn about that. So it seemed like a real incremental approach. Does it get more sophisticated that like to me, hybrid, is it just an interim step to going cloud or is it a destination? I believe it's a destination. I think it was initially sort of presented as an interim or a transitional state. Mm -hmm. But I think that a lot more organizations are going, ah, there are certain things that we want to run close to us. Right. The, that again, it's this, this, this tension that we always see in the industry going back to the, you know, the cloud computer or the network computer, which we were talking about in the eighties and nineties, where you would just have this dumb desktop and all of these, the smart stuff would go on later on, which is fine if you are living in an area that is super high bandwidth and you don't have latency issues right. or there's a million other bits and pieces. It's like, do you own the car or do you use an Uber? Uh, or uh, any other ride-sharing thing. If you live in an area that's got really great public transport, your perception of how you use transport and the ownership of a vehicle is very different to if you live in an area that's a bit more ex-urban right. and there isn't that sort of thing. So cloud's the same. There are certain services where it makes perfect sense to use the power of cloud. My favourite one from an IT operations perspective is that the most common uh, type of workload in the world is still file servers. People still generate files. They need somewhere to share them. Yep. They need somewhere to store them. And the problem with file servers has always been the buildup of file server exhaust. Essentially, people are creating new files all the time. Sometimes they're accessing old files and sometimes they just need the old files stored. But eventually those file servers fill up because right. they've got a limited amount of capacity. And with Azure File Sync, as an example, is that suddenly you could turn on cloud tiering for every one of your, your Windows file servers, and it was just automatically tiering up to the cloud anything that hadn't been accessed in a certain amount of time, and it gave you the perception of infinite storage without you actually having to worry about managing it. Now, 
once you've got a concrete problem like that, that's something that cloud's solving. You've suddenly gone away from I need to go and muck out the file server or figure out what I'm going to remove on a regular basis. And you just sort of turn it on and forget about it. That's a you've just made what have originally my existing infrastructure without me making any changes that impact the user. Yeah, user learned nothing new, work exactly the same. No, but suddenly it's working a whole lot better. Suddenly yeah. it's doing something, and then the users just got this perception of this file share that's essentially infinite, that mm -hmm. they just they can always find their files and they're not coming back to you, you know, in two or three years saying, look, we were working on this project a couple of years ago and we had these spreadsheets and we've just remembered that they'd be really, really good for this new project, Can but I can't find them. Right. And then you've got to sit there and go, well, how do I go and recover that from long-term storage? Yeah, yeah. Because it'll be stored somewhere. Yeah. Generally, the long-term storage is only – in case of litigation, where you're just yeah. going to take these boxes of tapes and hand them to an e-discovery lawyer. You never thought you were going to try and restore from that stuff. Whereas, you know, as someone who's writing books um, all the time as my sort of my additional work, mm -hmm. I am amazed at the amount of times. Like, I've had to pull up books that I wrote in 2007, sometimes to see something that I've described really well back then, and then that I can use in a book in 2022. So the our perception of the utility of information, especially as we become into a more mature information cycle, mm -hmm. you will find stuff that you wrote or projects that existed sometime in the past suddenly become a lot more relevant and a lot more useful. Yeah. And if you can access that data, great. But if you can't, You've lost that institutional memory. You've yeah. got a bit of institutional amnesia. Yeah, you've given it away. You've, yeah, because you've just gone, oh, well, we can't store anything over three years because we don't have the space for it. That's our policy. We get rid of it. And then the, the institution or that company that might have normally a 150-year history suddenly only has a three-year memory. Yeah, that's crazy. And Orin, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As is brought to you by the Azure Data Conference at the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, December 4th to 9th. You've heard the data Q&A shows published on Run As twice a week from the conference. That is a microcosm of the six days of fantastic learning available to you from the real-world consultants and members of the Azure Data team that speak at the show. Learn proven problem-solving techniques and technologies you can implement immediately and gain insight into Microsoft's data strategies for the cloud and on-premises. Get answers to performance monitoring, troubleshooting, designing for scale and performance, working in the cloud, and exploring all the new features of the latest versions of Azure Data and Microsoft SQL Server. And if you still have questions by the end of the week, join the conference's closing session and be part of the Data Q&A show on Run As Radio. The Azure Data Conference is at the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada, December 4th to 9th. Use code RUNAS to get a discount on your registration at azuredataconf.com, and I'll see you there. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Oren Thomas talking a little bit about the the hybrid life. Although this certification we're talking about is specifically Windows Server hybrid, so file servers for sure. Uh, a lot of the, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm pretty good now. I've retired my Exchange servers finally. But I talked to folks that are serious about SharePoint, and they like SharePoint Online a lot. Like, unless you really did some hardcore customizations a decade ago, most people's SharePoint instances are moved up. 
what are the other file service stuff that just sticks around? Like it's a natural long-term hybrid. So it really depends on how organizations use things. And Mm -hmm. this is what it comes down to is everybody's got a different way of using their IT infrastructure. And one of the interesting things about SharePoint or there was, and there was an, and this goes into sort of a, a more existential question that we've got. There was a, a report that came out recently that talked about how digital natives, specifically Gen Z and, uh, you know, the, the, the younger millennials mm-hmm. would, would treat their files. And that, that was that because they'd grown up with smartphones, they didn't have a consistent naming schema and they right. didn't have a consistent filing schema no. for their files. So what was happening was that when they were asked to go, and this comes back to this point I made about amnesia to a certain extent, when they were asked to go and find a file that they might have written sometime in the past, like obviously when you're in school, you generally don't need to go back two years ago and find something that you've written. No. once you Yeah, once you pass the exam, it's over. Right. But when they're moving into the workforce, then they've got a problem because they're not sitting there thinking about how do I not only store files in a way that I can go back and find something that I have created in the recent past, but how could someone else find it if they didn't have me around? Right. And that's one of the challenges of SharePoint and even more so now that we've sort of got teams working as a front end for SharePoint people sitting there trying to find files that they might have written if they've not got a consistent way of organising it. And we don't have, we've got these beautiful ways of sharing data, but we don't have necessarily beautiful or elegant ways of keeping track of where information is stored. And it turns out that what people set up 30 or 40 years ago in terms of simple hierarchical file structures Mm -hmm. for storing files, even though it's completely inelegant in some ways, it's also elegant in that it's very intuitive to understand, where do I find that file? Well, top level, next level, next level, next level. It's just a hierarchical tree structure. And that becomes very difficult in environments where you've got, like, again, SharePoint, great for collaboration, Teams even more so. But if you're looking for a file and you don't know exactly where it is, good luck. Yeah, good luck. It, it was in Google Drive. Which one? Don't know. <laughs> yes. And and the interesting thing about the um, certainly the Gen Z and the and, and the younger millennials is that because they're working on devices, mm-hmm. they don't have that file save as, and they don't have that approach of, I've got to give this a meaningful name. Right. So if you've ever worked with your kids' laptops and asked them where a file is, and then you look in their My Documents folder, you will see all of these files that have got names like AA, AAZ, PQ, and, and you're like, do you even know what these files are? And they're like, no. And it's like, have you organized them? No. How do you find something? Yeah. Oh, sometimes I have to rewrite it. Right. <laughs> or you just search and it, something appears or it doesn't, right? Yes. If you're lucky, it finds it. And yep. if it, if, if you're not entirely sure. So there is, uh, and so to come back to your question, are files 
and files shares still important? Well, it's an interesting question because, yes, you can go and put it all up there, but it comes down to can you find it yeah. or can someone else find it later on? And how much of a business problem is this? Yeah. And how much of this business problem, you know, what SharePoint was very good at solving was a collaborate, really collaboration right. challenges. Um, Around projects too. So you did, yes. you did end up having, it may have been disorganized within the project, but generally if you went into a project, everything related to that project was there. But finding that project later on, yeah. again, then you've got the whole, where do I, how do I think about archiving this data? How do I think about where this is all stored? Mm-hmm. And if someone's coming back to look at this in the future. So it's almost a librarian issue. Yeah. And to an extent, IT, because it's information technology, is about the storage and the classification. And not only can you store it and you classify it, can you find it later? Yeah. I'd find it timely enough that people are actually going to want to find it, to want to use it. Yes. I mean, there's also the regulatory side of we have to retain a certain amount of information in a certain way to not run afoul of of legal uh, as opposed to value for business. You know, there's also value Mm. in not being fined, but it's it's, that to me falls way more on IT than it does on educating individual users. Yes. We we have to make sure we're compliant. Yes, and that that they're back... If you go back again 20 years, we did a lot more user training simply because the users that we were dealing with weren't digital natives so right. that we had expectations about their lack of skills so that we they were essentially taught good information hygiene mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't necessarily exist today because the assumption is that people that are coming into the workforce already have all of these particular skills. Well, they have the skills to use the tools, but it does mean good digital hygiene. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but there's a, but, but it's interesting, and it'll be interesting to see over the next few years how all of this sort of fits together um, and how it all is essentially ends up working. Yeah, absolutely. And, and how you can – I mean – why you want to get to hybrid? Like, what are the capabilities we're really adding? Obviously, we, we talked about the file sync, but is it also better search, better access at longer range? Like, those kinds of things come from getting Azure involved? So, there's several areas that are really important. One of them is identity. The mm-hmm. amount of stuff that you can do with identity once you move it into a hybrid workspace. So, talk to me about the, the uh, improvement of identity. Like, obviously, we all have Active Directory these days. Although more and more I'm seeing the challenge of Active Directory very much a perimeter security model and Azure AD much more that zero trust model. Like it's tricky to mix those. It is. And that's ultimately where Microsoft, I think, has a very evolving story is mm-hmm. working out how do you take all of that on-premises identity, which needs to be still used and that that's what people are used to signing into their machines at. But all of the other things that exist over the continuum of 20-something years of Active Directory existing. And then what does that identity need to be when interacting with cloud resources? But how do you make that also as simple as possible so that from the actual practitioner's perspective, the user's perspective, they're not sitting there needing a hundred different identities. Yeah. Again, when I got started in IT, I remember that people would have 10 different identities to log into 10 different university systems. Right. So there, there is a, there is a goal of having 
you know, one ring to rule them all. Mm -hmm. And ultimately trying to figure that out. And that's a story that Microsoft has probably got a better chance of telling than any other cloud provider where they've got their own separate identity system for the cloud and then they've still got to go and figure a way of interacting with an on-premises identity system that goes and unifies a whole lot of things. Another area where hybrid works exceptionally well is around management and security. That is that if we think about old systems like Operations Manager, and with Operations Manager, you were collecting telemetry from all of your on-prem systems and you were monitoring and it was telling you interesting things. But your challenges there were that you couldn't necessarily do anything clever in terms of perhaps using AI to tell you more about what was going on with the telemetry. And you couldn't get that up-to-date stuff. So with security and just basic monitoring, by shifting that up to the cloud, by getting your telemetry, shifting it up to a place where you can store almost an infinite amount of telemetry, and then perform analysis on that telemetry to see interesting things that you need to know about, and then a much better alerting infrastructure and much better plugins. That's an area where it makes sense to move your management plane up to the cloud because you've got all of these endpoints that uh, you just could never run an on-prem management or security infrastructure at any reasonable cost that would tell you as much as this sort of uh, infrastructure that and something like Azure Sentinel and and App Insights, like those kinds of tools, just give us so much more view. Yeah, and they become more intelligent over time. Yeah, because it's all you guys also would say you guys in the sense of Microsoft has access to gestalt of the attack surface across all these entities, so that we have this yes. benefit that long before it ever gets to our particular organization. Microsoft's already fought that fought and know and knows what to do and you know stuff like Sentinel comes into play takes care of you for that so it certainly is a, a strength aspect it's, it's nice that it's getting to the place where it's protecting on-prem as well as the the uh, the native cloud native stuff well and that's where most people are still living it's ultimately we are sitting in front of keyboards and monitors yeah. in a particular location whereas there's only a, a limited number of cloud locations and where you are is where you need your IT to be mm-hmm. and there's aspects of your IT that it makes complete sense to run centrally and there's aspects of your IT that it makes sense to run completely locally and that's where hybrid sits. Hybrid is very much a continuum and every different organisation and probably every different individual exists on a different part of that continuum. There is no one size fits all. It's about finding that balance that really works for you and, you know, Microsoft moving into a position where it's not saying it's all on-prem or it's all cloud, but instead saying you find what works for your organisation that gives you the best outcomes, that makes you the most successful that you can be, is the story that, you know, needs to be told, not sure. do it our way. There's not one right, right way to do cloud around here. No. And certainly getting up to speed on all of the hybrid options Leading to certification is probably a great step for an awful lot of workloads. Yes, and that was sort of, again, with that group that I was talking about, that people that got started with certification, Mm -hmm. certification had been very much tied to their identity 
about how they learn because when you are going through a certification, you're forced to come to terms with a bunch of topics. And this group, when the, the Microsoft Windows Server certification went away, did feel lost because they felt that that was their tie to Microsoft, that right. this was how they learned what new things were coming out. So when we shifted and when we released this this hybrid certification, what we were really saying to them was, here's how you get your new Windows Server skills, your core Windows Server skills, but your core hybrid skills. So how you start to extend your skills into the cloud in a meaningful way. Still with that server-centric viewpoint on things. Well, yes. How long do these certificates persist now? Because you, Microsoft's pushing out new features in this space all of the time. So again, that's a very interesting area in terms of where the Delta really exists mm -hmm. versus where it might be that, and, and this is ultimately comes back to this idea of IT as problem solving. There are certain sets of core problems that always need to be solved and are probably going to be solved in generally the same way. Right. And you, so if you're testing on those, certainly at the associate level, a lot of those things aren't the super advanced stuff. So the more advanced you get, the, 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 the faster the delta on how you accomplish particular things. Very specific changes affecting very specific tools. But with certification, what you're really looking for is a certification should reflect a job role, how mm. people are actually doing a job. And most people, when they're doing their job, they're reliant on a mature technology. They're not getting their organization to go and buy into something that's brand new where there's an extreme amount of delta certainly in the operation mm -hmm. space, there's an extreme amount of delta because they don't want to suddenly have invested in something and then find it's no longer supported because sure. it's so cutting edge. It never actually, you know, there needs to be a certain um, critical mass of utility. And the thing with the associate level certification is you're dealing with technologies that have got a critical mass of users and a critical mass, a certain level of a maturity. So, with this particular certification, most of the technologies that we're talking about are actually very, very mature. There's certainly sure. new features of things like Sentinel, and Sentinel is addressed in the second exam in the certification, but that most of the core things that you would want Sentinel to do, it's done for a long time because those are the core bits of functionality that Sentinel needed to do to have uh, reached its level of critical mass in the first place. Right. Yeah, I mean, we've always been storing files. They've always needed a backup. They've always needed a recovery strategy. They've always needed to be secure and accessible for yes. different locations and hopefully searchable. So this is just adding to all of those skills we already had in the Windows Server space and adding some Azure on top of that in a hybrid space. Yes. So, and, you know, managing virtual machines. Mm -hmm. You've got virtual machines on-prem, and it turns out that the vast majority of cloud workloads are still people running virtual machines. Sure. Simply because that also, I mean, there's a, there's a million reasons for that. Yeah. And so how do you take your skills as, let's say, that you – I mean, we obviously focus on Hyper-V. It's a Windows Service certification. Yep. But how do you take all of the things that you were doing there? And then what are the benefits? Because there are some substantial benefits to running VMs in the cloud. And it's not just let's put the cost thing aside. 
let's look at all of the telemetry that you can get, all the extensions that you can light up, all of the recovery services that exist. For example, if you have a VM that fails in the cloud, there's a couple of commands that you can run in cloud shells that would spin up a recovery VM, will automatically take a snapshot of the failed VM's operating system disk, mount it on the recovery VM, and then allow you to perform recovery operations. And that's something that would have taken a whole lot of steps to perform on-prem, and it's almost an automatic process in the cloud so that you can then go and perform the recovery. And then when you turn off the, the VM, it just takes that fixed snapshot and then swaps it back onto the failed VM. Right. And you, you failed VM back up. So there's all of these amazing diagnostic tools that allow you to essentially give you a much more advanced fabric against which to run your VM. And it's important if you're coming into it as an administrator of on-prem VMs, sort of like, okay, let's understand what the difference is between if we're spinning up a new VM workload, do we spin it up on-prem? Do we spin it up in the cloud? And what is the trade-off between the two? Right. And then you, the whole conversation about where do I, where can I move it to? What's the behavior changes? Those kinds of things. You do have a lot of choice there, but it, it's not so foreign. If you've spent time with Hyper-V running in your own data center, the Azure Hyper-V still looks like Hyper-V. The UI is a little different and you're, you, you don't think so much in terms of all the hosts and things. That just happens for you. A lot of stuff yeah. is simpler and really pleasant to experiment with. That you could try some things, and then clean it up, just collapse that whole group, that whole resource group, but it's gone, and start over. Try something else. Yes, and there's a lot of organizations, and as because cloud is essentially such a, a new paradigm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of organizations that are finding the best way that cloud works for them. And another example is with Kubernetes clusters, where I was talking to some people over in the product team, and they were finding that what customers were doing was they were doing their experimental Kubernetes stuff in the cloud. Right. And then when they got it right, they were then bringing that down to on-prem and running the production Kubernetes stuff on-prem. That's cool. So that they were using cloud as essentially a scratch environment. Yeah, it's that lab environment. Lab environment. And then once they got the solution, that was dev, and then prod was down on-prem because that was actually where it needed to be. Yeah. Yeah. But it it just speaks to rather than having a lab worth of hardware and all the care and feeding for that, my lab's in the cloud and I pay for it by the minute. When it's turned off, it costs me nothing. Yes, exactly, because it's a transient workload, and it's understanding the difference between a transient workload and certainly in IT operations. We're aware of workloads that have been there 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. They need to be running all the time. That might not make sense to run that in the cloud. It it really probably makes sense to run it on-prem because your cost structure over time is simply cheaper to run it there than it is to run it run something similar in the cloud. Yeah, it is always a great question and tune, tune it up there. And then, but it's a separate conversation to say, when do I move that workload to the cloud if I do it all? But in taking it and having the, the, the lens be hybrid, the lens be, it's a continuum where you constantly slide it to work. Yeah. Where you're comfortable in being. You are, you're almost getting people to start thinking in that way. And when they're thinking in that way, they're making their organization a lot more successful because they're solving for their organization. They're not solving for the fabric on which they're deploying their workload. So I've uh, got the link to the Windows Server Hybrid Administrator uh, Certificate and the, the, the exams and sort of the training materials. So this is all Microsoft Learn? 
So there is a variety of different tools that you can use. And I've put up some study guides as well that are probably linked there. There is Microsoft Learn. There is Microsoft Official Curriculum. Mm -hmm. There's the Microsoft Press Books. And then you can go out into third-party stuff. So LinkedIn Learning's got some stuff. Pluralsight's got some stuff. And there's other third parties that are now writing books on the training as well. So you can start off by doing it in Microsoft Learn but then you might end up going back into docs or you might find it a lot easier to use books. And that's the other thing that we know from having been in the industry so long is that each person's got the learning tools that work for them. And for someone, it might be watching a Pluralsight video and for someone else, it might be learn, for someone else, it might be a book. You figure out what works for you. But the beauty of it is in that spinning up a certification, all of those modalities become available as opposed to just saying we've got this new product and we've released a learn module to go along with a product and that's how you learn how to do it. Right. Uh, Oren, really appreciate your time on this. It's uh, it's great to see how hybrid grows up and becomes a, an ongoing role for all of us uh, in this uh, just a little bit more complicated continuum of running servers for our customers. Well, look, ultimately it's about meeting the customer and meeting the community where they are. Right. And that there's always a balance between where a big company wants to be and how fast they want to move and then how fast their customers and their communities want to move and the two of them meeting in a place that suits both of them. Yeah, great point. Oren Thomas, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you very much, Richard. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.